me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3 this morning with me. Galatians chapter 3. Last weekend, our family uh, was able to go to a family reunion and were able to say, see several of my great aunts and uncles. And nearly every one of them said, Oh my, you look just like your father. You look more like your father than any of your other brothers. And I, I got that all my life. Um, the only thing that was missing this time when they said it was they didn't pinch my cheeks, thankfully. Now, it's not that my brothers don't look like my dad at all. They do. Um, they all bear a resemblance of him as well. Perhaps you've been told that you look like your mother or your father. And that's not unusual because children bear the resemblance of their parents. Now here in Galatians, the, the, the Galatian believers are being told by the opponents of Paul, the Judaizers, that they are supposed to bear a resemblance to their father, Abraham. And if they wanted to bear a resemblance to him, then they had to adopt the performance-based religion, supposedly, that Abraham had, which included all of these Jewish rituals, circumcision, uh, all these ceremonial laws, moral laws, all those sorts of things. Galatians, believers, they are t- Galatians, you need to bear a resemblance to your father, Abraham. You need to follow all of these Jewish traditions that we have set up. But Paul, in this passage is going to show them, if they truly are going to bear resemblance of their father Abraham, then what they need to resemble is not his traditions or his Jewish rituals, but rather his faith, his faith in God. Let's read the passage that we're going to to consider this morning, Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 14. This is the Word of God. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul is continuing to to show what he has been trying to prove. And that is the justification does not come through performance. It doesn't come through 
keeping the law, but it comes through believing in Christ. It comes through faith. And there are two main points that Paul makes in this passage. First, if we want to receive righteousness and blessing that Abraham had, the righteousness and blessing that Abraham had, we have to be a part of Abraham's family. If we want to receive the righteousness and blessing that Abraham had, then we have to be a part of his family. And second, if we don't do it the way Abraham did it, through faith, And that means we're doing it through trying to obey the law, through performance. And the second point is this. Those who try to perform in order to to receive that righteousness and blessing will be cursed. See, we were cursed. And the only one who can remove us from that curse is Jesus Christ. That's what the second part of the passage is about. So let's begin with the first part, verses 6-9. through nine, Righteousness and blessing come to those who are a part of Abraham's family. That's who gets this righteousness and blessing. Now in verse 6, Paul is continuing a thought that he had in the previous five verses. That's why he begins with these two words. Even so. Okay, so we need to consider what we talked about last week in verses 1 through 5. In verses 1 through 5, Paul used a series of questions. Remember, he never made a statement in those verses. He, he uses a, a series of questions to, to, point the Galatians believer, to, to point the Galatian believers back to their own salvation experience. Galatians, how did you originally come to receive the Spirit? This is the question he asks in verses 2 and 5. Was it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's point in asking those questions is to show that the answer is what? The second one, right? By hearing with faith. You came to an understanding. You came to receive the Spirit, to to have spiritual life by hearing with faith. And that's how you're going to continue in the faith. You don't need to add on all these Jewish traditions that these Judaizers are telling you to do. And so you look back to your personal salvation experience. How did you come to receive the Spirit? And so they have to answer with Him by hearing with faith. And if that's not enough proof for you, Galatians, here's verse 6. The same way that you came to, to... to receive the Spirit through faith, verses 1 through 5, that's how Abraham came to receive the Spirit, verses 6 through 9. Even so, Abraham, this is also how he came to receive the Spirit, by believing in God, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. And this flies in the face of what the, the Judaizers, these opponents of Paul, were trying to suggest. They were saying, if you want to be a part of Abraham's family, you need to be circumcised. You need to obey all the Jewish traditions. And if you don't, you're not a member of his family. Paul's saying that's not how you become a member of his family. Because the Scriptures clearly say that the reason uh, Abraham was justified was not because of his Jewish traditions. And here's the verse that he uses to show He points back to an Old Testament reference. That's why in verse 6, 
after even so, all of those letters are in caps. Okay, Abraham believed God, and that just points you back to that's an Old Testament quotation. That's all that means. Okay, now, which verse does it come from in the Old Testament? The way you find that out is you look in the margin of your Bible under verse 6 of chapter 3 and tell me which verse that that points us to in the Old Testament. What is it? Genesis 15, 6. Okay, so Paul is here quoting from the Old Testament. He's saying, Abraham believed God and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. In other words, God promised Abraham something. And that if Abraham would simply believe it, then God would grant to him righteousness. Now, in chapter 15, God uh, of Genesis, you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 15, at the end of that passage, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He finalizes this covenant, this promise that he had made to Abraham. You remember how he did that? He took several different kinds of animals and he split them in two. And as Abraham was sleeping in some kind of a a trance, he was seeing this in a vision, God's glory walked right through the middle of these two split animals, these animals that were split in half. And the idea of that is that they would do this in ancient times, not just God, but, but people when they would enter into a covenant, each person that was involved in the covenant that would be making an agreement would walk between these split animals. And they would say, basically be saying when they did that with their actions, let what happened to those animals happen to me if I don't follow through on this covenant. That was the idea of this this uh, agreement that they would make. But in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham doesn't walk between the split animals. This is what's known as what theologians call a unilateral covenant, a one-sided covenant. That only God walked between those split animals saying, if I don't follow through on what I've told you, Abraham, that all the nations will be blessed through you, You're going to have a seed. And through Him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. If that doesn't come true, Abraham, let what happened to those animals happen to me. That's how serious God is about His covenant. I will not revoke it. I will die first. In other words, it's going to happen. And that's what happens in Genesis 15. God gave Abraham a promise. Abraham believed it and God credited it to him as righteousness. Now consider this in light of what we're talking about with these Judaizers. When was Abraham circumcised? When did he actually start to do things? Was it before or after Genesis 15? Take a guess. After. Okay, I think it's like chapter 17 or 18. I'm not sure. I don't think I wrote it down here. Okay, but, God, but, but actually, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham had already believed God when he left Ur of the Chaldees, Chaldeans, right? That he believed God and God reckoned that to him as righteousness. That his initial justification, that his initial right-standing righteousness blessing that he received from God was when he not did something... That's what the Judaizers are saying. He had to be circumcised in order to be 
receive all these blessings. And, and Paul is saying, no, look back at the Old Testament. When did God reckon it to him as righteousness? Genesis chapter 12, really. Genesis chapter 15. Before he did anything. So in order for Abraham to have righteousness credited to his account, he didn't have to do. He didn't have to perform. Do all these Jewish rituals, do you see? He simply had to look at the text in verse 6. He simply had to believe. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him. It was imputed to him. It was counted to him. It was it was applied to his account that he was righteous, that he was it was as if God was looking at him as if he was perfectly righteous when he didn't do anything. He only believed. And remember from Romans chapter 4, verses 1-5, through 5, that faith is not a work. And when we believe in God, that's not a work. Uh, if it were a work, then God would be granting to us something that we were owed. Do you see? And if we were owed something from God, then it wouldn't be a gift. But salvation is a gift. Righteousness is a gift. And therefore, faith is not a work. Romans 4, 1-5. through 5. So, if for Abraham to receive righteousness, he had to have faith. He had to believe. Then, verse 7, here's Paul's point. Then faith is required for us as well in order to receive righteousness. Look at verse 7. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. I said that righteousness and blessing come to those who are members of Abraham's family. And verse 7 says, if you want to be a part, if you want to receive righteousness, this righteousness that's talked about in verse 6, then you have to be, notice the language of the text in verse 7, of faith. You have to be of faith. If, if Abraham received righteousness as a gift, that's what the reckoning means, that God credited it to him as righteousness. If he received it as a gift by faith, then we also must receive righteousness by faith. And what, what, what Paul's talking about is an alien righteousness. That is, that it wasn't that Abraham was such a good guy. His, his family were a bunch of pagans. It wasn't that, that God looked at him and said, wow, you have a lot of character, Abraham. He was evil, just like you and I were before God saved us. So the righteousness that Paul is talking about is actually an alien righteousness, a righteousness outside of Abraham, and that's what we need. The Judaizers disagreed. They said, no, the way that Abraham got his righteousness was through the law. And there is a sense in which we can be, uh, there, there are people who can be uh, family members of Abraham through the law. That is, that children of Abraham are those who are circumcised. But Paul says that here's what you need is you want to be a true spiritual child of Abraham, then you need to be of faith. You need to have faith because that's where the spiritual nature 
of Abraham comes into play. So this is good news. This is good news for you and me. We don't have to be a Jew in order to be a part of Abraham's family. We don't have to take upon ourselves Jewish customs or rituals or ceremonies or moral laws in order to be a part of Abraham's family and to receive the righteousness that Abraham received. You simply need to have faith. The second value of being a part of Abraham's family, first righteousness, second blessing, is found in verses 8 and 9. There is a universal blessing that is connected to being in Abraham's family. Verse 8, the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. You see that universal aspect of the blessing that comes through Abraham? All the nations be blessed through you, Abraham. That was a promise given in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. So, how, how do we get this universal blessing? How do we become part of this universal blessing? Is this automatic? Is every single person in the universe blessed like God is talking about here to Abraham? Is that what He's talking about? Well, the answer is found in verse 9. And, and I would suggest to you that it's not talking about uh, there is a sense in which every person on the planet is blessed because of Abraham. But there's actually a special blessing that happens to those who are of the spiritual family of Abraham. And in order to be a part of his family again, verse 9 tells us that we need to be of faith. Look at verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. We're blessed with Abraham. Now notice the language here. It doesn't say, so then those who are of faith are blessed by Abraham, does it? Abraham is not the source of the blessing. He needed blessing too, didn't he? We are blessed alongside of Abraham. That every believer of all time has received justification they are counted as righteous and receive the blessings spiritually because they did the same thing that Abraham did. They believed. They were saved by grace through faith. By grace. It's a gift. It's unearned, unmerited, unwanted favor. And it was through faith. And here's what God does. He credits every single person who believes with righteousness enters them into the spiritual family of Abraham and blesses them alongside of him. So, these Judaizers were completely wrong. You want to be a member of Abraham's family, you don't have to go through all these rituals. No. You want to be a member of Abraham's family and receive the blessing that God was talking about and receive the righteousness that was credited to his account that needed to believe like Abraham believed. Because if you go the other way, verses 10 through 14, you will be under a curse. If you try to perform your way like the Judaizers are telling you, try to follow after all the laws that, that Abraham was doing, and you will be under a curse. And the only one that can free us from that curse is Christ. 
Notice verses 10 through 12. If we rely on the law, we are cursed. There are three reasons why we know that relying on the law brings a curse. First, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. The first reason that everyone who tries to perform their way to a righteousness before God, why that type of person is cursed, the first reason is because the law, verse 10, requires perfect obedience. See that again from Deuteronomy 27. 26. It says, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things. It doesn't say, Cursed is everyone who doesn't try to abide by the law. It says, Those who have tried to abide by, and you got to abide by all things written in the law. So if we can't obey the law perfectly, and we can't, and what does the text tell us will be the consequence? It actually comes towards the beginning of the verse. We will be cursed. Right? We are under a curse. And then for it is written, cursed is everyone. If the way, the means by which we gain righteousness is through working, performing, coming to church, doing all of these Rituals that we can even still do today. If that's the way that we're seeking righteousness, then we need to do it perfectly. And since we can't, then we will be under a curse. The Old Testament was clear, Judaizers. Don't try to say that performing is going to get you to a place of righteousness before God. It's not going to because the Old Testament is clear. Cursed is everyone who tries to, to, to come under the law, to obey the whole law. They can't do it. The second reason why if we rely on the law we are cursed is found in verse 11, and that is that justification, a right standing, does not come by performance. It doesn't come by working the law, doing the work of the law. Verse 11, Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident... For the righteous man shall live by faith. Paul's saying, listen, it's very clear. You try to come to, to God and, and have a right standing before God as He requires by, by performing, and you will fall short. Because no one, notice verse 11, no one is justified. No one receives a right standing before God because they obeyed the law. And the reason that's evident is because of this verse that he quotes from in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous man shall live by faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. This is the same text from Habakkuk that is quoted in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And if you know about Martin Luther, in the 1500s, he was reading that very verse. Romans 1.17 The righteous man shall live by faith. Same text as what we have here. Luther was the monk of monks. He was the, he, he was the Catholic of Catholics, wasn't he? I mean, he was, he, he was a student 
of the Catholic religion. He studied. He, he tried to study the Scriptures. He tried to teach it. And he just had this struggle in his soul that, that he couldn't meet up to God's expectations for him. But after much struggle, the Lord brought him to an understanding of the Gospel. Through his study of Psalms, he got to Psalm 22 where it said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He recognized that was speaking of Christ. And then also his study of Romans when he came across this verse. The righteous man shall live by faith. Now Luther had always been taught that that meant his righteousness. That if my righteousness comes, then, then I will receive the, the blessing that God has promised. But God taught him in his study of Romans brought him to realize that Paul wasn't talking about Luther's righteousness or Paul's own righteousness, but rather an alien righteousness. That the righteousness that you receive comes by faith. Now here's what Luther would have expected. The righteous man comes the the righteous man shall live by the law. And that's not what he saw in that text. And it was at that point that he recognized that it was not on the basis of his own righteousness that he was going to be standing before God, at least favorably before God. But it was on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfect righteousness, not his own efforts. And that this was a free gift that came through, as the text says, faith. And Luther, when he understood this, described this as a sweet exchange. That Christ on the cross bore my sins. That He took my robe of sins and wore them for me. Received the judgment that I deserved. And instead of me receiving the wrath of God, I was able to wear Christ's righteousness. So the righteousness that's talked about here is the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to me, given to me. That's what justification is all about. For the first time in his life, Luther knew the peace of soul that comes through the Gospel of knowing that he was forgiven of sins. If you come to that recognition as well, if you come to recognize that, that God doesn't accept you because of you, that if God looked at you because of you and because of what you have done, you'd be eternally condemned and so would I. Because all of our righteousnesses apart from Jesus Christ are as what? Filthy rags. They're worthless in the sight of God. They're of no value. So we need an alien righteousness. The law requires perfect obedience, verse 10. Justification does not come by the law, verse 11. In verse 12, the law and faith do not mix. There's a discontinuity between them. Verse 12, however, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Paul further supports what he said in verse 11. Righteousness does not come by performance. It doesn't come through the law. Faith looks to what God has done through Jesus Christ. Faith has its eyes fixed on Christ and His righteousness. 
And so Paul gets to the point at the end of verse 12. He says, He who practices them, he who tries to live by the law, to he who tries to, to perform his way, will have to live by them. If you're operating with the understanding that, that you have to obey the law in order to be righteous or to receive righteousness, then you live with the law and everything. And therefore, remember verse 10? Those who live by the law are what? They're cursed. If that's how you live, then you are cursed because you and I cannot keep the whole law. We can't keep it. So the reason that law and faith don't mix is because the law is at odds with trusting. Trusting is simply saying, God, I can't do enough. And so I'm looking to You and Your promises and I'm just going to believe that. I'm not going to pile up all these things that I have to do. I'm simply going to believe. So in that sense, faith and law are, are at odds with each other. Now, next week we'll see that they're actually in harmony as well, that they're going to work together, that the law actually helped bring us to faith. But there is also a sense in which they are apart, they're, they're at odds with each other. Because the law brings a curse, the faith brings alien righteousness. So if we try to rely on our own works, our own performance, we will be cursed. The only way to be removed from that curse is by relying on the cross. Verses 13 and 14. We must rely on the cross in order to be blessed like Abraham was blessed. Verse 13 reads, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ bought your freedom from the curse. He bought your freedom. And He did that by giving His life on the cross. Verse 13. From a very young age, we all thought that we were good enough to keep the whole law. And therefore, we would be accepted before God. You can talk to hundreds and thousands of people out in this community or people from your work that you know, and you can ask them, how will God accept you? And many of them will say, because of what I've done. Because of all the good things that I've done, the times that I've gone to church helped people, not done bad things. What are they depending upon? The same thing that we were depending on before Jesus saved us. We're depending upon our own works. From the beginning, we were self-proclaimed law keepers. But what Paul's saying here is, is profound and very important, and that is that all law keepers are under a curse. And therefore, we need to, we need to be removed from, out from underneath that curse. How does that happen? And the answer comes in verse 13. Christ removes us from the curse. You see that? He buys us from the curse. He buys us back from the curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And how did He do that? Well, He became a curse for us. 
And how did He become a curse for us? Well, it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. We were enslaved to our own sin. We were deserving of just condemnation. God would have been completely just to condemn us eternally because we didn't keep the whole law, right? If any man keeps the whole law and yet offends in one point, he's guilty of all. He's guilty of the condemnation that's deserved of missing the mark completely. He's deserving of that. I'm deserving of that. But here's what Christ did. He came to pay that price that we should have paid by, by, by dying for us, becoming a curse. When He hung on a tree, He was cursed. In the Old Testament, people would often be hung on the tree as a spectacle. They would be killed. Sometimes they'd be killed and their bodies would be put on the tree. Other times they would be killed or, or, or just mocked while put up on the tree. And the Old Testament says that if you're put up on the tree, you're basically meant as a negative example to the rest of the community that you are cursed by the community. And that's what Christ did for us. He was cursed for us. And this is that sweet exchange that happens for us. Christ becomes a curse for us. So, if we want to be receive the the righteousness that Abraham received, we have to have what? Faith. If we want to receive, be a part of that universal blessing alongside of Abraham, what do we need? We need faith. If we want to be removed from the curse of the law, we need works. No. We need faith. We need to believe that Christ's work was enough. And that's what verse 14 is about. The universal blessing that was promised to Abraham ultimately comes through Christ. Not through Abraham. It's through Christ. Verse 14, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul gives a reason why Christ became a curse. We saw how He became a curse by being hung on a tree, verse 13. But why? He gives one reason in verse 14, even though he has two purpose clauses. Notice in verse 14, in order that, okay, here's, it sounds like one purpose in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. And then notice the second purpose clause, so that. Sounds like there's two things here. But if Paul were saying two different things, in order that, uh, in order that Christ would give us the blessing through Abraham, and in order that we would receive the promise, then he would use the word and. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles and we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. But he doesn't do that. And this makes sense because in verses 1-5, through what was the question that Paul had presented to them? Look at verse 2 of chapter 3. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit? In verse 5, so then does He who provides you with the Spirit. Okay, so the, the question that He's talking about to the Gentiles, in your own, or the, the Galatians, excuse me, in your own personal experience, how did you receive the Spirit? How did God provide you with the Spirit? Now look at verse 14. The second part, so that He would receive the promise of the Spirit that Abraham would receive the promise of the Spirit. 
And that makes sense because verse 6 says, even so, Abraham. And here's the point. Abraham received the Spirit. That is the blessing. The blessing, part of the universal blessing that comes by being a part of Abraham's family, which we become a part of his family through faith, is receiving the Spirit. Because even Abraham had the Spirit. So the blessing is spiritual life. When we believe, when we have faith in what Christ has done. Now for Abraham, he didn't know who Christ was, but he had a promised Redeemer, didn't he? And so although he didn't have all the specifics, we know it's Jesus of Nazareth, that he lived a life and he died on the cross and then was raised from the dead. Abraham didn't know all that, those details, but he knew that there's a Redeemer who would come that would save him. And so he believed God. And that's what we need to do. Believe what God has revealed to us. And so in case you missed it, the last two words of this passage show us how we receive the promise of the Spirit. The blessing of Abraham, which is spiritual life, the promise of the Spirit, comes, notice the last two words, through faith. So, if you or I depend upon our ability to keep the law in order to be counted righteous before God, it will lead to one of two things. First, it will lead to a false hope. I'm good enough. I am keeping the law and God will accept me. That's what I was talking about all these people that you talk to. Yes, God will have to accept me. He has to. I'm much better than X. If we try to keep the law in order to be righteous before God, it will lead to a false hope or the other option is it will lead to despair. That's what happened with Luther. Remember before his conversion? He was struggling. He was so distraught. He would talk to all these other monks and bishops and things and they would say, you know what? Maybe if we just keep you busy. So they gave him more teaching opportunities. They had him teach other monks. Maybe you need to study the Scriptures more and things like that. And eventually, that's what led him to study the book of Psalms and the book of Romans, which God used to transform his mind, transform his life. It'll lead you to despair. If, because why? It's not that you have a false hope. I'm good enough. God has to accept me. It's I'm not good enough and God won't accept me. And so there's despair. And that is a curse. We're either deceived into thinking that we're okay with God or we're frustrated because we can't have a right standing before God on our own. That's a curse. We've relied on our own works. And we are under a curse, condemned because of our sin. And this is where the hope of the Gospel comes in. That Christ came to remove that curse. He came to open up your eyes to the deception that you are okay spiritually apart from Him. He came to remove that despair that says, I can't be right before God. And His perfect sacrifice and perfect life was accepted before God and offered to you as well. And so I would encourage you, if you are saved, to continue to hope in God. Continue to have faith. Because here's what Satan's going to try to do. 
He's going to try to give you those two senses, two, two options that I just mentioned. He's trying to go. He's going to try to give you a sense that you have to keep working, like the Judaizers telling the Galatians. You have to keep working in order to be accepted before God. No, your acceptance is not based on your works. Okay, so stop trying to do stuff. Your acceptance is based on your faith in what Christ already did. And the other thing that Satan will try to do is to get you to despair. I'm not good enough before God. Stop looking at yourself, is what the Scripture is telling us today. We've got to stop looking at ourselves and our own performance and look to Christ. What? How did we initially receive the Spirit? Verses 1-5. through five. Was it through our works? Or was it through hearing with faith? And so that's how we continue on in the faith. Continue to look to the cross and what Christ has done. And this is the perplexing nature of the Gospel that the person who tries really hard to do all the laws that God has set out for them is condemned. But the one who doesn't look to himself and humbly recognizes that he's not good enough and that only Christ can save him is the one who is blessed. That's the nature of the Gospel. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. By grace. That's a gift. It's unearned. It's a gift. So when we look at this, we should not think there were two Gospels. In the Old Testament, there was a Gospel of works or a Gospel of the law that that all the Old Testament believers had to obey. But now we have a Gospel of faith. No, there are not two Gospels. There's one Gospel. In fact, Paul says in chapter 1, that if anyone comes to you with another gospel, let them be accursed. But, but when they come to you, they come to you with another gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And that's the thing. Is there, there's not two gospels. There's one gospel, and it's always, it always has been a gospel of faith. Believe in what God has said, not in your own performance. You're standing before God as the same is received the same way that Abraham's was through faith. And that means for us that we need to remind ourselves of the Gospel every day. Jerry Bridges in his book says to preach the Gospel to yourself every day. And so I would encourage you to remind yourself of verse seven or verse 10. Everyone who tries to keep all the things written in the law is cursed. And so you come before God and say, God, I can't keep the whole law. And so I deserve your condemnation. But you have promised in your word that Christ will free me from the law if I simply do one thing, believe. And I believe. I am looking to Christ. Remind yourself of that every day. That I deserve punishment, but, but in, in a sense I do deserve punishment because of my sin. But in another sense I don't because Christ has already taken it. And so in Christ, I don't deserve punishment. It's already been covered. And the righteous life that Christ lived is credited to my account. The blessing that I receive from being a part of Abraham's family will come to me when I believe. This is the Gospel. This is the Gospel that saved you. 
And this is the Gospel that we must live and remind ourselves of every day. Praise God for His indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, it never gets old to be reminded about the Gospel that came to us through Jesus Christ. We deserved Your just condemnation. As a holy God, You had every right to condemn us to hell because we have turned from You and we did not obey the entire law. So I pray that You would help us not to live on the basis of our own performance. Now certainly, a life of faith will not lead to a life of license to sin or lasciviousness. Paul is going to show that in chapters 5 and 6. But but as far as our standing before You, we can't change it based on our performance. On our worst days, You still accept us on the basis of Jesus Christ. And on our best days, we still are not good enough to be accepted on our own. We still need Christ on our best days. So we, we need to be reminded of the Gospel. Help us. Show us in Your Word as we open its pages each day. Remind us of the joy that, that is there that comes through Jesus Christ. Help us to, uh, to live by the Gospel and to remind others of it as well. May we not live lives of despair, frustration, false hope, uh, disillusionment, but we will live a life that is marked by faith. Faith in the One who lived for us and died for us. We love You because You loved us by sending Jesus Christ to take our place. And we pray these things in His name. Amen.